everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff, joining me still on the DL, but he is here. He's uh, started to, to to throw the ball a little bit, is my co-host as usual, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. It's uh, good to have a microphone in front of my face instead of a surgeon. So, uh, yeah, different show this week. Last week you were... Uh, uh, a couple of uh, pain pills in, and I was a couple of whiskeys in. But I think we're <laughs> we're we're doing this show clean. Might, uh, might that's right. No pain pills today <laughs> until after the show. Yeah, same with the whiskey for me. So let's uh, let's get right into it. I- I'm sure we've all been watching baseball all week. We are recording this show on Sunday, and I see it's all over Twitter. I just happened to be for some reason watching that Mets game, and I watched uh, Luis Luis Guillorme. And his uh, 22 pitch at bat against Jordan Hicks of the St. Louis Cardinals. That's incredible. So Guillaume ended up drawing a walk. That's amazing. Think about this. Because, I mean, first of all, you know, a 22 pitch at bat is, you might see one a year where there's just that really long at oh, bat. Yeah. Remember in spring training this year, because they don't have as many players in camp, you can call an inning after 20 pitches from a pitcher. Yes, that's right. So technically, he could have not even finished that at bat, and they could have called the, the half inning there and said, you're done. Also, remember, <laughs> if this was a regular season game, he's got to face three batters. Oh, my gosh. That's true. So wow. he might have really <laughs> been struggling there. I, I, I learned a couple of things this week watching, and this is solely through watching Major League Baseball this week. The Pirates have a prospect named O'Neill Cruz. Interesting first name, O'Neill. His parents O'Neal are Cruz. big Yankee fans. <laughs> they named him after Paul O'Neill. <laughs> wow. I hope he has a little bit of a happier disposition. <laughs> he's. I wonder if he, maybe he's a good soccer player too. Good, you know, good uh, yeah. foot. Kicks uh, right-footed. I'm just wondering, why wouldn't his parents have just named him Paul Cruz? Like, you know, given him a traditional... I mean, it's kind of cool. And then that got me to thinking about other players who have first names taken from baseball players' last names. Like Jeter Downs, who is in the Red Sox organization, which is really weird. Uh, Robinson Cano was named after uh, Jackie Robinson. That's his first name. I think there's a nice. couple more that I can't. I, that, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but I, I, I came up with a couple of names there. Uh, okay, next. This is a question. This is not our trivia question, but this is something I'm curious if you know the answer to. The Mariners have had only one team captain in their franchise history. Do you know who it was? Wow. I have no idea. I'll give you a hint. He was traded in August, the only season that he was a captain of the Mariners. So the Mariners have never even had a captain for their entire season. He was traded before Randy Johnson? No, it's not Randy Johnson. It's not Ken Griffey Jr. It's not Edgar. It's not Tino. It's none of these like kind of bedrock Mariners Okay. That you would think of. It is none other than Spike Owen. <laughs> okay. I bet you yeah. I could have let you guess for two days straight and you would have never come up with that. 
I would have been completely stumped. I had no shot at getting that. Uh, <laughs> real quick side note, Spike Owen hit the shortest home run I ever saw in person. It went down. It was a kingdom. It went flying down. The uh, flying might be too much. It kind of hung up there and went, kept going towards the left field fence. And it hit the very bottom of the foul pole and fell down straight into the, I mean, it was like, if it's 325 to left, he hit that one 326. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, well, Spike Owen, not a lot of power. 46 home runs and 13 career years. But he only spent, well, no, he came up with the Mariners. He spent three and a half years with the Mariners. And in 1986, I guess they saw something in him that said, this guy is a leader of men. <laughs> we shall make him captain, the first in the history of the franchise. And then they traded him to Boston. Well, it's a sad story, but, you know. Yeah, they traded him to Boston with Dave Henderson and Ray Quinones. Oh, wow. And in return, the Mariners got Mike Brown, Mike Trejo, John Christensen. So not a, oh boy. not a great haul for Dave Henderson, Ray Quinones, and Spike. That did not work out. <laughs> I just, you know, as a Mariner fan, knowing a little bit about the team and the franchise and the history, that trade is not one that worked out for us. Just saying. <laughs> That's a good trivia question for people to ask their friends. The Mariners have only had one team captain. Who is it? Because they're probably going to go with one of those big names, but no, it's Spike going. Captain Owen. Captain Owen. Could we have called him that? You could have probably called him Cap. <laughs> Last thing I learned this week is that the Brewers have a pitching coach named Chris Hook, which <laughs> is a awesome. great name. You know, unfortunately, pitching coaches generally don't give the hook, but it's still a good name for a pitching pitching coach. And if he was captain of a team, that would be even cooler. Boy, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? So I, I know you and I texted. I was watching the Orioles game earlier this week, and Felix was on the mound. Looked really strange in that orange uniform. Yeah. But uh, and you know I think it was his first or second outing of the year. But he was topping out at eighty six. Yeah. I, I mean he he stated earlier that the reason he is continuing to play right now is he's trying to pad his numbers for the Hall of Fame. I'm, what that kind doesn't of, always work out. No, but I mean, what you're in, Baltimore is awful. I mean, they're a young yeah. team. They're not going to be good. What kind of numbers are, do you think you were going to pad there? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you could you, even if you go out there and, and you're, you're he's the Felix of old and he just th gives up two to three runs and is throwing those quality starts that he set all those records yeah. for. What kind of yep. run support are you going to get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, or defense as well. It's, uh, you know, I, look, I, I wish more than anyone that Felix could make some kind of a comeback, but it's just the, the power isn't there anymore. You'd have to learn to pitch more of a pinpoint style. Yeah, instead I mean, of, you know, it's the old saying, he, he has to go from being a thrower to being a pitcher. Yeah, well, I mean, you and I were joking. He needs to learn to throw a knuckleball and, and pitch left-handed, and then he'll stick around. Probably for a while, but let's yeah. look at his numbers. 15 years in the big leagues, a record of 169 and 136. So, I mean, he's not even going to sniff 200 wins. No. Uh, it, ERA plus of 117. So, I mean, he had some really dominant years in, in the he did. 2009, 2010, especially. But a, an ERA plus of 117 is not 
Greg Maddox, obviously in a class by his own, uh, a 132 ERA plus over his career. Gotcha. Let's see. Well, let's just stick with the let's stick with the Braves. John Smoltz, uh, you know, only 125. Maybe this is maybe this is helping Felix's case. I thought that was kind of low, but I think I think he's got a long ways to go, and I don't see him getting there in Baltimore. I would be surprised, and I'm pulling for him. Um, but I just, you know, I'm with you. It would. It's a tough. It's an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, we wish you the best, King. One more thing I wanted to mention. This show is premiering on March 16th. Something uh, pretty cool happened today, six years ago, 2015. Grapefruit League, there was a game between the Phillies and the Twins, and it marked the first time that two current Hall of Fame players managed against each other. It was Paul Molitor for the uh, Twins, and do you remember the kind of short tenure as uh, Philly's skipper for Ryan Sandberg. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, I, I forgot about that. So that was uh, something cool. I, we talked about it last week, getting excited for debuts coming up, and that was in the same category. So excited about that. Uh, before we get on to our trivia question, though, it is time to head into the courtroom, my friend. Oh, boy. Yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks back, we were talking about the uh, the Astros, and when they became an expansion team, there was, of course, the the always popular name the team contest, where they would get letters from fans, get their input on what they wanted the name to be. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the Society for the Prevention of Barbershop Quartet Singing. Well, one of our eagle-eared listeners, who I'm, I'm just going to give you their their Instagram name. I don't know. <laughs> Dukas underscore o six three seven. I don't know. It might be it might be a throwaway just for, to tell us this. But apparently, I was seeing what I wanted to see. Uh, apparently, <laughs> the actual name is the Society. For the preservation of barbershop quartets. <laughs> so you were you were projecting, man. I was. So let me just say this: if there is not currently a society for the prevention of barbershop quartet singing, I am going to form one immediately at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, we just lost our barbershop quartet listeners. See what you've done? <laughs> yeah, I am sorry. I, You know, everybody, do what you enjoy as long as you're not hurting anybody else. I do not enjoy barbershop quartets. So. Now, you can make a case that barbershop quartets are hurting you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to our trivia question. Uh, it was a hard one. I am not going to lie. This one was hard. We got some uh, responses. A lot of the same responses. None of them. uh, Well, one of them was correct. It was from our buddy Chris, but he had already said, hey, this is my this is my final answer. And it was not correct. And then he came back with more of one which was correct. So partial credit there. We got a lot of other answers, but let's remind you of the question first. I asked for the manager with the most seasons managing without suffering a losing season. And this is a pretty incredible number. Um, before I tell you really? the, the, the manager's name, I'm going to tell you he managed 24 years and never had a losing season. 
Wow. Which is pretty impressive. So the answer is Joe McCarthy. No kidding. Goes way back then. Started in 1926 with the Cubs. Managed for five years. Never lost more than 72 games. Then he went to the Yankees. And there he managed for quite some time. From 1931 to 1946. Took a year off. Came back, managed the Red Sox for three years. He never really even came close. The closest he came to a losing season was 81 and 71 record in 45. And then his final year in 1950, the Red Sox were 31 and 28 when he was, uh, I'm not sure if he was let go or if he retired. He was 63 at the time. So, uh, yeah. Nine pennants, seven World Series titles. Yeah, that's a, I didn't expect it to be that much. Nope. I, mean, I was thinking like 12 seasons or something. Oh, I was thinking it was going to be like three or four. Somebody, you know, just kind of did a good job and then did something else. Or maybe George yeah. Steinbrenner. Yeah. That, that, that's a tough record right there. That's one that's tough to beat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's going to beat that one. But okay. Yeah. No, that's- New question for you. Who was the last brother combination to pitch and catch to each other in a major league baseball game? Wow. Well, let's just go. Okay. You want the most recent one. Okay. I didn't know there was one. (laughs) So my guess will be the most recent one. (laughs) So you don't even know who the brothers were, but you're just saying. No, but I'm going with the most recent one. Well, since I asked for the last one. Right. You'll probably I can't be right. Lose. Yeah, you'll probably be right. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need names, uh, two first names oh, and man. one last name. I was expecting true false to be honest, so I'm gonna go with true. Uh, last mm-hmm. brother pitcher catcher combination to throw to each other in a major league baseball game. Let us know your answers. All right, let's uh, let's let the ground screw come out and do their thing. We tend to do this once a month because uh, sometimes we've got a lot of little stories that we uh, would like to talk about, and that is the case. So that means that this is another episode of Tales from the Dugout. I think this is number 15. We're, we're on wow. show 108, and this is number 15. So it's about 10% of our shows are these, but I know they're popular. So, Mark, I'm going to go first. And uh, that way, because I've got two that I think we can fit in, and then I know you've got one as well. So uh, yeah. I, I want to tell you, have you ever heard of the cheese steak challenge in Philadelphia? No, probably not specifically. I no. have heard of Philly cheesesteaks, and they're amazing. Well, okay, so Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi is pretty much where I usually tap out when it comes to naming competitive eaters. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, we can now add to that the 2015 Brewers bullpen catcher, Marcus Hanel. So wow. when you think of food in Philadelphia, you said it. Philly cheesesteaks come to mind. So combine that with the fact that baseball players spend a lot of time at the ballpark doing nothing. And what do you get? You get the Philadelphia Phillies Visitors Clubhouse Cheesesteak Eating Championship. Now... <laughs> Of course, there are rules because we are not animals. We must have rules. There are separate records for three-game and four-game series. Phillies clubhouse attendants Mike Cherno, Brian Parks, and Mark Guccio keep meticulous records of the cheese 
steak consumption. Cheese steaks can only be eaten after getting to the ballpark until batting practice starts, then from the end of batting practice until the game begins, and then for one hour after the game has ended. Any cheese steaks consumed outside of those times shall not be counted. So saith the rules. So you can't, like if you eat a couple to warm up at home, you no. don't get to count those. That's what you're saying. No. And if you, any, any are ingested during batting practice, they don't count. Like you gotta, yeah. they, whenever you're supposed to be doing something, they don't count. So reportedly there's a scoreboard in the clubhouse tracking the record. Not a whole lot of information about the specifics like when it started, but it is thought that it probably started when the team moved from uh, the vet to Citizens Bank Ballpark in 2004. It is said that Dimitri Young was the very first record holder, which for a guy whose nickname was Demeat Hook makes sense. Right? Ah, yeah, no doubt. Demeat Hook. I love the duh part, but. Demeat Hook. Dimitri, I guess is where that came from. But even though there's not an A in his name, uh, there is no number attached to the initial record there from from Dimitri. The next name on the list of title holders is somebody I promise you that you have never heard of. It is Mets bullpen catcher Dave Racanillo, who fortunately is nicknamed Rack. And we're going to say that for now on because I can't say his last name. He said it in 2011, he put away 14 cheesesteaks over three days. Oh. It's a good meal. 2013, the record fell again, though, and it was by another Mets bullpen catcher, this time Eric Langell. He ate 17 sandwiches over those three days. Jeez. He did some prep for it. He reportedly skipped breakfast each day. He took the <laughs> early bus to the stadium to give himself more time to fit in eating before batting practice started. <laughs> so both of these record holders were Mets, if you haven't noticed. Well, the Mets carried two bullpen catchers at the time. So uh, Rack was actually there to see his record fall, and he wasn't happy oh. about it. <laughs> so he set out to set not the series record, but the single-day Philly cheesesteak record, which at that point was held by Corey Hart with seven. I remember Corey the Hart was with That's the, amazing. Uh, yeah, the singer, and he also uh, played for the, I remember him with the Brewers for a while. Uh, didn't he play for the Mariners at one point, too? I don't remember, but I think everybody should enter, make up your own sunglasses at night joke. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, let's see, 2014, yeah, I remember, because I, I, I remember I was still there. He played for the Mariners. 203, 271, 319 slash. Great <laughs> Great performance. But he he held the single single day record with seven, but that fell. Rack came in with seven and a half in a single day, so he just squeaked by. Goodness. A couple weeks later, Bobby Figpen rolled into town. At this point, he's now a bullpen coach, and he managed to scarf down eight cheesesteaks in a single day. So You know, that's really a good idea because when players retire and start coaching, they generally get thinner. <laughs> you know, Thingpen held the, the single season saves record for a short time. He also uh, snagged that cheesesteak in a single day record 
which is very yeah, similar. Equally as important. Yes. Both now, very prestigious. Now, there is some controversy here, though, because Thigpen did this during a double header. So, Ooh. you know, some of the cheesesteak purists refuse to acknowledge this record, but it's there. There might be an asterisk by Thigpen's name here. So far, we've just been focusing on single person numbers, but there is also a team mark. There is a single day team record, which was broken and currently held by once again, the Mets in 2014. The Mets love these cheesesteaks, man. I, <laughs> I guess. So the Metropolitans put away 103 cheesesteaks, shattering the former record of something in the 80s. Nobody wanted to be specific, but they ate two cheesesteaks per player with some of the bigger eaters picking up the slack and, and doing a little bit more. Again, there were some extenuating circumstances. The day that they ate this record number of cheesesteaks, the game was rained out. So they were putting away all these sandwiches. And what would happen if the rain would have stopped and they would have had to go play a game after putting away all those cheesesteaks? To 103 cheesesteaks in one day. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> I am getting hungry, by the way, right now. I'm not going to lie. OK, well, let's get to the current record holder. So 2015, the Milwaukee Brewers roll into Philly. We've talked about it in the past that that former Major League catchers tend to make really good managers. Well, Major League bullpen catchers tend to make really good cheesesteak eaters because, as I mentioned, <laughs> Marcus Hanel scarfed down 18 sandwiches over three days to eclipse the oh. former record by one. Now, that's 18 sandwiches in three days. The mark for a four-game series was 17. So in three days, he ate more than the record for four games were. Well, guess what? This was a four-game series. So to put an exclamation point on the series, Hanel shoved five more cheesesteaks down his gullet to set the four-game oh. mark at 23, shattering the former record by six cheesesteaks. This is a lot of red meat, man. This is <laughs> well, apparently there are chicken versions as well. And so what Hanel said he did is he would alternate between the two to kind of keep it fresh. When you get to, when you get to that 20th, you need a little variety, I guess. But we've done some real deep dives the past couple of weeks on some players from the 1800s. None of that this week. We are talking Philly cheesesteaks, at least for now. I don't think I've ever had more than one in one sitting. Yeah, unless they're real small. I only got a shot at one. That's my first story on the, uh, what is the fish? The Philadelphia Phillies Visitors Clubhouse Cheesesteak Eating Championship. Maybe it'll be on the Ochos one of these years so we can get some TV coverage. <laughs> Good stuff, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's stuff. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, we did a show on uh, baseball cards, the origin and so on like that. I just recently got back into collecting baseball cards. As the, the new style, the new type of cards are completely different than the junk wax era. So I started thinking, you know, what is, we had the history of, of baseball cards. Maybe I could delve a little bit deeper and just pick out one baseball card company. So we're going to go with the granddaddy, Tops, And I'm going to tell you some weird things about Tops. All right. Right now, there, you really are, are hitting up the two big names in sports cards are still Tops and Panini. Outside of there, you just got some smaller, like Onyx and, and Leaf actually does a pretty good few sets. But 
I thought I'd share a few things with you. Uh, Jeff, feel free to chime in. By, by the way, that show that we talked about baseball cards, that was from April of 2019. That was almost two years ago. But if you want wow. to, episode 12. There you go. So we'll revisit that a little bit later, but talk about tops a little bit. Okay. Uh, just some strange things about tops. Well, you know, they started off not as a baseball card company. They were a gum maker. They, they made gum and they're, they competed against like Hubba Bubba. They made bazooka. <laughs> I think Hubba Bubba so, was around at that point, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Double tape, bubble. Tape by the foot. They were, was that a big yeah, <laughs> rival? I, actually, I think their rival was Double Bubble now that I think about it. So they made bazooka gum, and in order to make them more appealing, they started putting baseball cards in them. So you could go out and say, oh, I got my double bubble, but if I get my bazooka Joe, I get to see what card I get. Uh, Some of the first cards they ever made were actually, they looked like they were blank, but you would moisten them and hold them up to uh, a called blue magic paper that came with it. And you would actually see once it got wet and against this paper, you would see Jackie Robinson or you would see, you know, Joe DiMaggio, stuff like that. It would actually shine through and uh, you could actually, it was, it looked blank, but it was kind of cool. I don't know if those would sell anymore. They also did cards of like Clark Gable and stuff too. It wasn't just baseball back then. Jeff, we've talked about the hardness of the gum and the longevity. (laughs) Here's the reason why it's hard. The sticks had to be hard enough to be mechanically injected into the card packs without breaking. That's, that's the reason why I had to make it hard because there were, there's, you know, filing the cards in there, they're going to file a piece of gum too. That's the whole reason. Um, in 92, they finally discontinued the bubble gum. I thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. Some tops products I wouldn't mind having. Um, the, the first baseball card when they really went for baseball card sales, the, the tops baseball cards were, were not, not good. Uh, fans didn't like them. They had uh, smaller photos. And then on the outside, you could see like when I'm looking at it, it says foul ball. And you could actually use them as playing cards. Well, it's unique, but kids were just not interested in getting playing cards. And they had to put Taffy in in theirs and these because Bowman, the big rival to Tops now, Bowman said they had the exclusive rights to put gum into packs. So Tops put in Taffy. That was kind of an issue. The Taffy... Uh, absorbed all the card varnish and just left a really nasty aftertaste on the gum. So it just was not a popular product. Interestingly, side note, Bowman now owned by Tops, So you can still Bowman, but they're really Tops. Just, it's kind of a secret. Um, <laughs> not much of a secret, but it's kind of. Like <laughs> well, I shared it with all of you. 1952 series, very well known, very sought after, of course, has the Mickey Mantle rookie. Tops felt that they printed too many of these, and once the season was over, no one was going to want them anymore. So they literally, literally put two million cards on garbage trucks, load them onto a barge, and dump them in the Atlantic Ocean. Just drop them right there. (laughs) The ocean? Ah, just put it there. This reminds me of the E.T. video game for the Atari. It's exactly like that. They dumped all these, all these mantle rookies are at the bottom of the Atlantic. Well, it's the opposite of Upper Deck that just started to print extra griffy rookie cards the next year. That was one of the reasons uh, that this set is very scarce. 
By the way, that mantle card in pristine condition can sell for over a million dollars these days. When I was first collecting cards, like you could get one for a couple grand. So that's pretty good markup. So an interesting thing I found out about Topps history is they marketed some really nasty candy. It uh, was called Garbage Can D. And it was a plastic, it was from the 70s. And it's a plastic trash pail oh, with I a remember. bunch of treats that they made. Yeah, you remember I remember those? this. It was and around were, for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. They were shaped like rotten fish. Yeah. And empty cans. Parents didn't necessarily like these in the 70s. It was kind of like um, runts, right? But it was just shaped mm-hmm. in as garbage. And uh, But I remember the can more than anything. They also sold something called Barfo. B-A-R-F-O. It was a dispenser with a human head and an accordion-shaped body, and it would vomit out gelatinous goop. That sounds like a fun one, too. If somebody's just tuning in this week for the very first time, they're like, oh, Baseball History Podcast. This is great. We have <laughs> talked about cheesesteaks and trash can and barf candy. Oh, we, we can reach. We, we've got outreach. Uh-huh. We can talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> We're going to start an, another podcast just on just, just somebody called stuff that nobody knows or cares about. <laughs> yeah, that'll be short. Tops once printed the world's largest baseball card. It was 60 foot by 90 foot large, and they put it up in Lakeland, Florida. You, any guesses to who the uh, – it was 2013. Any guesses to who the player was of the giant card? 2013 in Florida, you said? It was near the spring training site of this team, yeah. Lakeland. I think Lakeland – is that where the Tigers? Yeah. Is the Tigers? What? You're figuring the- it out. Uh, I'm going to go with Al Kaline then if it's the Tigers or Ty Cobb. That is, that is a good guess. It was Prince Fielder. <laughs> so right up there, you know, those are three names that get mentioned together a lot. <laughs> Ty Cobb, Al Kaline, Prince Fielder. It just, they roll off the tongue. Dude, throw in Spike Owen for fun. All right. <laughs> and my last point, this is a very important one. Tops will print a baseball card of you, yourself, your mother, your dog, whatever you want. There is a Mark A. Johnston Tops baseball card. Much from when, after. Uh, the last time, for the last time, uh, I won the best Asian pairs in the state of Washington contest. That's pairs, P-E-A-R-S. Yes, yes, Asian pairs. So I know a lot of you are doubting this is true, so I will go ahead and make sure that, to get that to Jeff and get it posted on twitter uh, you're all gonna see what i look like and please please do not be frightened i'm not gonna show up in the middle of the night nobody ever looked like their voice is gonna sound but there you go man i just thought did i throw out some fun stuff about tops baseball you know it is crazy you are right everybody especially during the pandemic i mean it was it was already happening before but i know that yeah. there are just grown men like us that camp out at Target and these other places just waiting for those days when they bring out, you know, when they're getting restocked with baseball cards and they just buy uh-huh. the boxes. I mean, I, I buy boxes, too, uh, for of old cards and I used to have new cards, but they they just buy boxes immediately. So if you're not there when they put it out and waiting in line already, you cannot buy baseball cards at a lot of places that stuff's flying off the shelf right now so many people got into it i was into it a little before the giant surge uh that's going on right now prices are ridiculous right now i'm not even doing it there are hobby boxes and there are 
collector boxes. You What you see in the retail side are the collector boxes or the blaster boxes, stuff like that. The hobby boxes generally have a guaranteed number of autographs or relics. A relic would be like a piece of somebody's uniform, game-worn. So, so you can get the hobby boxes, which have better stuff, but they're more expensive. And the retail ones are, are don't generally don't have the uh, possi- same odds of hitting an autograph or a relic, but they're still fun cards. That's uh, that's good stuff. I haven't bought a I haven't bought a new pack of baseball cards in probably twenty years. I buy a ton of cards from the eighties and nineties, but nothing nothing new. And, and since I don't really collect Ricky cards anymore, more about artwork. It's uh, yeah yeah. I just haven't done that, but uh, I know that they are very expensive from my Twitter timeline. Tells me that people are also uh, doing the same thing with sports memorabilia. It's very popular right now and mystery boxes that you don't know who you're going to get. Like I hit, I got a Bo Jackson autographed Chicago White Sox jersey the other day, just by random chance. Of which you're taking offers for. I am taking offers for it. Um, I'd sell it or I'd trade it. It depends. I'm not the biggest Bo Jackson fan, so hey, it's a cool piece, but eh, you know, I'm just not a big Bo Jackson fan. And I, I Okay. Well, he saved Nolan Ryan's life, but whatever. He did. Sure. I appreciate that aspect. Not everybody, no, nobody can be all bad. All right. Let's just say that. All right. Let's, uh, I got one more thing. I, I got kind of a Philly centric theme going on here today. I want to talk about veteran stadium, which we mentioned earlier when we were talking cheesesteaks and this whole eating contest in, in the visitors clubhouse and how it started when they moved from the vet. Well, if you could live in a baseball stadium, but it meant you were in a small kind of cramped secret room with no windows. Would you do it, Mark? Um, yes, <laughs> I would. <laughs> well, a gentleman named Tom Garvey claims he did just that, living in a secret apartment in Old Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia in the late 70s and early 80s. Garvey was in charge of the parking lots at the vet and was given a set of keys to the stadium to a secret entrance. Well, he found an unused concession stand in the stadium and converted it into a living space, unbeknownst to anybody. So what does one do if they have the run of a stadium during the off hours? Well, Garvey claims that uh, he would roller skate around the concourse, he would throw parties with local celebrities and fans, And, of course, probably the thing that we would all do, he claims to have done drugs in the Phillies dugout. Okay, good for him, I guess. So several people have confirmed these stories, saying that they have partied with uh, Mr. Garvey in this little uh, unused concession stand, including Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Famer Bill Bradley. Wow, that's a good guest list. There are actual people that collaborate on this story. So we know that the, the vet had... A jail cell as well, right? So it's like, it's almost like its own little community. They've got jail. They've got uh, housing. They've got food, obviously, everywhere. They grow stuff. Well, I guess, no, that was turf. So maybe they don't grow stuff. But the vet was kind of its own little. It was uh, a biodome without the dome before the biodome. Wow. Just a quick one. That's all I got. That's that's pretty awesome, though. I mean, would would you do it, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I remember yeah. I remember yeah, I think it was in Atlanta and the, the head grounds guy there, Ed Mangdon. I think he had a small apartment out there in Wright Field. 
in in because okay. in, I kept uh, all the stuff that I used when I was sitting behind home plate. I kept it in the grounds crew area back there, so I knew I knew those guys. And I think Ed had a had an apartment, you know, just a small one bedroom thing. Because if you play a night game and it's you've got work to do, and then you got a, a early game the next day, a lot of times those guys will just right. stay. Just like managers will yeah. will just spend the night. Yeah, so. the, it wasn't uncommon for Bob Boone and his staff to spend the night after a night game going into a day game because they had, you know, they had their strategy meetings and all that, and it just it got over so late, and they were going to have to be back early in the morning. So Bob would uh, just hunker down on the couch in the manager's room. One thing I learned about that, don't fire off fireworks at 3 in the morning because you'll wake up Bob Boone. He will come out in his underwear and not say a word, but just look at you and you will feel like you're six years old and you got caught with your hand in the cookie well, jar. Well, you were, so you you're guys were that. working late, getting uniforms cleaned and so forth, and you had fireworks, and you're like, it's three in the morning, yes. let's go shoot them off. That's right. Because we've still got we run of this. Booney was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I, kid, I can still picture it. The, the door flies open, and he's standing there in like a T-shirt and his underwear boxers, and, and, and he's just looking at us, and we all just stopped. You know, four grown people. I don't know if I want to call us men, but four grown-ups all standing there just like, with their tails between their legs. It was great. I mean, I'm assuming he came out and he recognized who you guys were and said, oh, okay, yes. it, what would have happened if they would have just, if they, if you would have been kids that snuck into the diamond and did this. To be perfectly honest, knowing Bob Boone, he would have went out there and kicked their butts. That's what, That was what I was getting at more than likely. But yeah, I, I yeah. I've told the story when I was working, uh, getting the Tigers going at one point. It was when Jim Leland was managing and we had a night game and I came back in early, like eight or nine the next morning. And uh, as I was walking into the entrance, there's uh, there's Jim Leland just outside the door, you know, heater in there, heater in his mouth, a cup of coffee and clear, you know, bedhead. And uh, said, on a butt. yeah, he's like uh, long night. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, sometimes they just don't leave. All right. Well, uh, that will wrap up this little collection of tales from the dugout. And so what that means is that it is now time for us to go into one of our most popular segments ever. It's time for Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull the Wax Pack Heroes. All right, so Mark, last week we took on some Donruss uh, cards that I described as being boring with their packaging. They were a dull brown tan kind of thing. So this week we're gonna we're gonna jump into a Donruss 1991 series two, which has instead of that wonderful tan, we've got like a very faint aqua kind of green blue. It's ugly. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. But we're going to use these. I, I actually came up with these dull cards last week. I got a win. So I'm I'm now trailing 10 to 14 behind you. But uh, we're going to go ahead and open you these. You the big momentum. But uh, we're going to go ahead and open these up. We got a couple of rules that uh, we use to score these. If you haven't been with us before, we'll go over them here quickly. We are going to take the Baseball Reference War from, in this case, 1991, because that's when this set is from and uh, we're going to take that a couple of additional things can get you some extra points of war 
If you are wearing glasses, sunglasses, flip down glasses, anything like that, we're going to give you an extra tenth of a point. If you've got a mustache, you're going to get extra tenth of a point. If it is judged to be a great or better mustache, you're going to get two tenths of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see, that is a plus tenth a point of war. But if you are wearing those disgusting two and ones, we're going to minus a tenth of a point of war. If you are wearing sweatbands that have your caricature, your jersey number, or a McDonald's logo on them, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. And if you are now a Hall of Famer, you are going to get a whole additional point of war onto your score. So, Mark, I got two packs here left and right. And which one would you like to you open? Uh, let's go. I got beat with the left pack last week. I'm going to go right. Right. Okay. I'm going to have you go first so that I can be the home team. And uh, let's get right into this. All right, so we got more uh, Willie Stargell uh, puzzle pieces. Oh boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to just keep my mouth shut here because uh, our first card here is uh, with the Orioles, who we came up with. It is Mr. Kurt Schilling. <laughs> as soon as you said "oh," I was like, "It's Kurt Schilling." <laughs> <laughs> it's either Kurt Schilling or Aubrey Huff that I will just keep my <laughs> mouth closed. Oh, yeah. So let's see. You know, Kurt pitched for 20 years in the big leagues. 1991 was his fourth year. He was 24 years old. Uh, Not a great season for Kurt. Uh, Minus 0.1 in the war department. Three and five. He was coming out of the bullpen. Appeared in 56 games. But uh, there is nothing on this card that is going to help you out either. So Kurt has just set you off into uh, into the negative here to start things out. Next, uh, this is a guy that we've had. He's a pitcher for the Rangers who neither of us remember, but he's got a an okay mustache. This is his rookie card. So I would say if we were judging by Beckett, you'd be rolling in it, but maybe not so much with uh, just baseball reference war. It's Joe Bitker. Oh, yeah, we did talk about him, didn't we? I don't remember what. Yeah, I don't either. I just remember the name, but not from back then. I remember the name from the show. Yeah, so Joe Bitker spent two full years in the big leagues. 1991 was his last year. Only appeared in nine games. Went 1-0, though. Got a win out of that. And uh, all of that equates to a war of minus 0.3. <laughs> he does have a mustache, so that'll only be a minus 0.2. But you're, you're going backwards here. You're, you're at minus I'm off point. to a great start, man. Yeah, you, you have done better at this point. Yeah. Uh, next, we have got a guy, an outfielder, left-handed hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers, it is Daryl Hamilton. Daryl Hamilton was, uh, was he a center fielder. Uh, Daryl Hamilton, uh, yeah, for the most part, he came up. He played everywhere in the outfield, as young guys tend to do. Which this was his third year in the big leagues, so he he spread out 122 games over the entire outfield. But listen to this slash line: not too bad. 311, 361, 385. So wow. yeah, that's not bad. So that's a 1.7 WAR. Wow, hey, as Sean Penn said in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, all right, Hamilton. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, don't, I've never actually seen Fast Times. Well, I've seen one Ooh, part. I've seen one scene. You're going to get emails. No, I've seen one <laughs> scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I'm sure I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to minus uh, one-tenth of a point here because he is wearing two and one, so that'll get you a 1.6, but that at least gets you into the positive. You are at 1.3 now okay uh did you know that daryl 
uh, Hamilton was at one point uh, married to Sean Robinson, who was uh, an anchor no, at I, Access I did Hollywood. Not know that. Yeah, huh. I did. And, uh, and her name was Sean. It's yeah. like Sean Penn, who I quoted. This is weird. Wow. Uh, apparently, also, and I, I did not know this, Hamilton is uh, unfortunately passed away. Uh, it looks like, oh boy, this took a dark turn. It looks like <laughs> his wife at the time, who was not Sean Robinson, shot him and then uh, turned the gun on herself. So I'm going to go ahead and steer away from that. You <laughs> and uh, hey everybody, welcome to Two Strike Noise. Yeah, we that, had nothing but fun and frolic. That really took a dark turn quick. <laughs> All right. You, you are at 1.3. Uh, you're getting a special World Series card here from the 1990 World Series. We don't like to talk about it. It's our buddy yeah. Jose Rijo. Hey, one of my all time favorites. All right, so uh, Riho, we've covered him many times before, played 14 years in the big leagues, including a five-year stint where he did not appear because of injuries. In 1991, he had a really good year, 15 and 6, a whip of 1.077, and an ERA wow. plus of 153. He finished fourth. A, yeah, he finished year. fourth in the Cy Young balloting, and that will equate to a WAR of five point five. That's my new favorite baseball player ever. <laughs> now I really can't tell here on these stirrups. I'll go ahead and give you it just in case, so that'll get you a five point six there. That'll get you up to six point nine, which is nice after your start. A couple of fun facts about Jose Rijo. Once married to Juan Marichal's daughter. No kidding. Yeah, that's not bad work. Wow. Uh, also, apparently uh, appeared in the 2008 film Sugar, which I have not watched. I have it, and everybody that's seen it says it's one of the best baseball movies ever, and I have still yet to watch it. So, I have not seen it either. I feel bad. All right, you're yeah. at 6.9, and next we get a very young John Burkett pitcher for the Giants. Yeah, that was a long time ago. So, John Burkett, 15 years in the big leagues, not too bad. 1991, went 12 and 11 with a 4.1 ERA. Led the league in hit batters. Had that Bonus. going for him. Uh, war of 0.3, and that's all you're going to get from that card. There's nothing else there that's going to help you in any way. I'm happy with anything positive at this point. <laughs> all right, next. Oh, a good guy. It is none other than Frank Viola. Oh, yeah. Gotta love Frank Viola, or, or as he was known. So I, I'm trying to remember how to say it. Is it Sweet Music? Was that Sweet his Music. Sweet Music. Sweet Music Viola. And he was, man. When he got out there to pitch, he was he was fun to watch because the man could throw. Yeah, 91. Had a okay year. He finished third in the Cy Young the year before. But uh, a down sure. year in 91, 13 and 15. Led the league in uh, hits given up. Uh, oh, ERA plus of 92. So this one, probably not the best year to have Viola. It ended up with a 2.6 war, but he does have a mustache and he does have real stirrups. So that'll get you a plus 2.8. All right, next is, oh, this is a good card for me. First baseman, I mean, this is your card, but I liked this guy. Uh, first baseman here with the California Angels who he came up with. I remember him most with the Expos because he was on the Expos when I was working for the Braves. It is Lee Stevens. Lee Stevens. Yeah. No, um, outfielder? First baseman. First baseman, left-handed hitter. Uh, I'm going to assume that he was left-handed, yes. 
I remember him from Strat because I remember not thinking he was that good, but he always kicked my butt at Strat. Yeah, it's weird because he was only on the Expos for three years, but I, re- I mean, it was right in my sweet spot of working for the right. Braves. 1991, right. however, though, was his second stint in the majors. He only appeared in 18 games. He did play left and right as well as first base in 1991, so maybe that's where you're getting that from. His yeah. uh, war is a straight zero for the year, but he's wearing some nice real stirrups that you can actually see the Angels logo on. So uh, you'll get a plus one there. Even tempted to maybe even give you a plus two for those stirrups because that's that's pretty cool. It's one of those special rules. Uh, Apparently, uh, currently a hitting coach for the Hartford Yard Goats. The old Yard Goats. Yeah. Yeah, Awesome. Also apparently played in Japan for a little bit with the Buffaloes. Next, uh, we've had this guy before. I have like eight things autographed by him. Uh, I remember him with the with the Cubs, the Dodgers. Uh, here he's with the Dodgers. It's Jim Gott. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about him. He was kind of a journeyman when I when I picked up on him. Yeah, and he was a right-hander, which is weird that you would be a reliever for 14 years and not be left-handed. But yeah. <laughs> in uh, yeah. we have to be actually good, I think. Yeah, well, in 91, a 2.96 ERA in 55 games. That's a 121 ERA plus. So, yeah, he was okay, good for a that. long time. Yeah. 1.1 war, nothing on the card is going to get you anything additional, but that will bring you up to 11.2, not bad. The fun Jim Gott fact, he was uh, hired to coach Dennis Quaid, who portrayed Jim Morris in the movie The Rookie. That's awesome, I love that movie. Uh, now that is a movie I have seen, but I did not know that he did that, but good for him. All right, next uh, we've got a Mariners pitcher. Mariners pitcher alert, it is Matt Young. Matt Young was a, a Mariners. He's sort of a Mariners staple. Probably not a great season in 91 for Mr. Young. <laughs> Three and seven, 5.18 ERA. That equates yeah. to a 84 ERA plus. Did lead the league in yeah. 85 in losses with 12 and 19 mark. Overall, 55 yeah. and 95. Wow. <laughs> so you're right, a Mariners staple. Uh, the war total in <laughs> 91 was minus 0.2. That's mean to say, but yeah. I just, you know, we keep it 100 here, as the kids say, yeah. on two-strike noise. So this is going to, well, this is a good card. Probably not going to get you anything because it's a rated rookie card, but it is the rated rookie of the gentleman that is known as Mr. Marlin. Do you Mr. Know Marlin? Yeah. That's the guy with all the... Uh... With all the Marlin fish tagged to him and he runs around like a psycho. No, no, that is the Marlin's man. Uh, I am looking for Jeff Conine. Conine the Barbarian. Yeah, good ball player. Good hitter. (laughs) Now, according to this, I'm not sure we've ever had Jeff Conine come up in this because uh, his entry is not marked as having been read in my browser, which is strange. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Marlin, Conine the Barbarian, uh, did not play in 91. So you're not going to get anything there. Nothing on the card is going to help you out. Wasn't he a right-handed first baseman? Bats and throws right. So if he was at first, he was a right-hander. Next, we've got a Yankees outfielder. Now, we've talked about great jerry curls of the 80s before. This guy, I don't think we've we've brought him up, but he definitely deserves to be included in that Juan Samuel-like Hall of Fame category. It is Mel Hall. Oh, man. Mel Hall had the awesome hair. Shaved the sides, pulled it back uh, on the top. I remember him as a Yankee with, a, yep. with some power. 
Yeah, he was with the Yankees. Uh, yeah, he had you know, he was good between 15 and 20 home runs a year. Played for 13 years, a good deal of it with Cleveland, also the Cubs, and then the Yankees, and then finished out with the Giants in 96. In 91, he was with the Yankees. Okay, year 285, 321, 455 for an OPS plus of 113. And that equates okay. to a war of only 0. 0.1. Oh, that hurts. I guess she had some I defensive liabilities. <laughs> he was actually, he did not have, I think he had a decent arm, but I, he, his, his uh, route to the ball was about as good as the ones I run. All right. So we will, uh, Mel Hall is one of those guys that definitely had some off field incidences that were, especially after the, uh, the whole, um, was it Daryl Hamilton incident? We're going to not talk about Mel Hall, who was uh, not a good man off of the field. Uh, that will take you to 11.1. Next, we've got pitcher for the Dodgers. It's Darren Holmes. Darren Holmes. Yeah, he was uh, he was a Dodger for a while, wasn't he? Let's see. Darren Holmes was a Dodger for uh, one year. Gee, that's uh, a while. 14 games. <laughs> he spent most <laughs> of his career in Colorado. He, he was around for 13 years. Another one of those uh relievers he did a pretty good job in 91 he was shipped to milwaukee he went one and four there an era plus of 86 this was only his second year in the big leagues that's a minus 0.2 but he's got a good mustache so that'll only be a minus 0.1 for mr facial hair yeah that uh, that helps a little bit there let's see next we have got pitcher for the atlanta squad i think we talked about him maybe last week the week before it's charlie Liebrandt. Yeah, Charlie Lee Brandt, lefty. Uh, was he mostly a starter? Yes. Don't remember a lot about him, but uh, I remember him being one of those guys that'll, you know, middle of the rotation. He'll do what he needs to do. Yeah, he was on those Atlanta teams in 90 through 92. So right when they were going to the World Series every single season. 14 years in the big leagues. In 91, uh, he was a starter. He started 36 games for the Atlanta 15 and 13 for an ERA plus of 112. Not bad at that point. Mm -hmm. That's good for a war of 4.5. And you're going to get nothing on the card there that's going to help you. Nice war. Okay, next, your second to last card is one of your favorite players uh, from when he was on the Astros. It is Kevin Big Mouth Bass. Kevin Bass remains one of my all-time favorite players. I had the... uh the pleasure and just by random chance of working uh, scoreboards with his niece. And uh, were you attached at this point? Was it one of those things where you're like, I am uh, going to marry Kevin Bass's niece. I, I wanted to, but uh, my wife doesn't even let me date. So. <laughs> well, in 91, Kevin Bass did not have a great year with the Giants. Uh, OPS plus of only 92. And that equates to a war of plus point four now kevin bass with the astros always had a great mustache kevin bass with the giants was clean shaven at least when he had this picture taken but he does have a uh, he does have real stirrups on so that will get you a point five which will take you to 16 even so kevin bass cousin of football player james lofton no i didn't know that yeah, was he with the Chargers? Was he like, wasn't he like a Hall of Fame? Lofton, I believe, was a Green Bay Packer. Oh, yeah. There you go. I just looked and it I up. I think he's in the Hall. Yeah, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Look at you, Mr. Football. Joe <laughs> Football. Me, Mr. Football. <laughs> Mr. Touchdown. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that doesn't get you anything extra. You're down to your final card. You are at 16 war even, and your last card is Nails, who is another. Lenny. You got some real weird off the field guys in this pack. Yeah, I, I got kind of a ragtag bunch of kind of schmucks. <laughs> Kurt Schilling, Lenny Dykstra, <laughs> Mel Hall. My God. And, I, you know, Daryl Hamilton, RIP. That is sad, but. Yeah. Well, just quite a a bunch for uh, for your off the field guys. Let's see, a ninety one, okay year for Lenny. Two ninety seven, three ninety one, four twenty seven. That equates to an OPS plus of one thirty two, which you got to be happy with that. That is a WAR of three point one. I cannot tell here on the stirrups. I'll give it to you. I'll give. It's Lenny Dykstra. Yes, well, that's not going to get you any. This is the guy that a judge said you couldn't slander him because he had already besmirched his <laughs> reputation so bad that there was not, nothing you could say bad about him that would make him come off in a bad light. I'm I'm not trying to say, hey, me and Nails are best buds. I'm, just, I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it, which is very different. I remember I remember him as a ball player, and he was a good ball player. Uh, other than that. May not be the brightest bulb. Yeah. Well, he did like one of our tweets that we mentioned him once. So we'll give Ooh, him. Uh, I take that back. He's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. All right. Like I said, we're not going to get into his off the field stuff. Then. Uh, so that equals your pack is 19.2. So there you go. That's that's a okay. pretty respectable score. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and we'll open up my pack here. And uh, I am starting out with pitcher for Cleveland. I remember this guy, Charles Nagy. I thought you were going to say Charles Nelson Riley for a second. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Well, Charles Nelson Riley. Opening card. our opening our uh, match game seventy four <laughs> trading cards. <laughs> no, it was Charles Nagy. I remember he was. Let's see. He Nagy. spent fourteen years in the big leagues, thirteen of which were all with Cleveland. Yeah, he was a he was a big Cleveland Indians guy and pretty good pitcher for them. He came in eighth in ninety one in the Rookie of the Year balloting. That equates to a war of 3.1. I will take that, nice. please, to start out with. Nice. Uh, nothing else, though, on the card is going to get me anything. All right, next, we've got shortstop for Houston. Oh, this could be a good score regardless. It's Rafael Ramirez. Wow, I, I remember Rafael Ramirez, but not for a long period of time. Well, he wears a good uniform here. This is good looking, good looking picture. Rafael Ramirez, mainly with Atlanta. He spent eight years in Atlanta. His final five with the Astros in '91, uh, not great. An OPS plus of sixty-five. So that I'm not not holding out hope for a lot there. One po- minus one point one on the war but he's got real stir- oh, you know what those are two and ones he's got two and one stirrups on he's got a mustache and he's got his caricature on his sweatbands no, so no. that'll actually only get me a plus one because those is two and ones <laughs> is not but that will that will oh. just take me to a minus one uh, I've got an MVP card here. We've talked about this guy before you know this guy yet you refuse to get him on the podcast. And how there was ever a Brian Harper MVP card, I don't know, but we got one. Bro, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Brian Brian was a contact hitter, man. You couldn't strike him out, but he didn't walk either. He'd hit you 300. Well, Brian Harper has a great baseball card where he is holding in the dugout of the uh, Oakland A's a, uh, a big Zach Morris-like early cell phone. You know, one of those bricks. Yeah, that's right. 
I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> so 91, he was the primary catcher for the Twins. Wow, I'm going to be happy with this slash line. 311, 336, 447. Yeah, he was good, man. The guy could hit. Again, I, I'm not sure it's worthy of an MVP card, but uh, it's a 2.0 <laughs> on the war, and he's got a mustache, so that'll get me a 2.1, which I'll take. That'll bump me up to 4.2. All right, next we have got a man. Uh, well, here he is as a shortstop, but he's a manager that uh, won a World Series. It is Ozzy Guillen. He comes up every week, I swear. We are generally pulling from the 80s and 90s here, and that was his yeah, heyday. Right. Uh, I believe he played for 104 years too. Uh, actually, close 16 years. I do not remember. He yeah. finished up with the uh, with Tampa. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I don't either. But 91, he was an All Star. He was an All Star three times. This was his final year. Uh, OPS plus of 74. Now, normally that wouldn't be that exciting, but I'm going to guess he's got some good defensive stats. So that will equate to a WAR of 2.1. He has got some flip downs. He's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups. So that's an extra wow. 0.3. So that is a plus 2.4. There's your all-star. All right. Next, we've got a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. It is Jack Armstrong. Yeah, Jack Armstrong. I don't remember as much about him as I remember other Reds pitchers of that era. Uh, he wasn't controversial or anything. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, He was just, obviously, obviously, he was on that 90 well, not obviously, but he was on that 90 World Series team. 7-13, and 13, though, in uh, in 91, mm. not great. An ERA plus of 70. That equates to a war of minus 0.1. He is wearing real stirrups, though, so that'll only get me a minus 0.9. Could have been worse, I guess. Uh, his son, yeah. Jack Armstrong Jr., turned down a million-dollar signing bonus from the Rangers after he was drafted wow. out of high school. He went and played for Vandy, which has got a great college program they, they sure do especially this year they've got a couple of pitchers that rocker guy and another one of their starters i think that are going to probably be well they will be first round draft picks but really high yeah. he later came out and he signed for seven hundred and fifty thousand after houston drafted him but he never played in the big leagues because he got injured oh bummer all right i am at 5.7 next we've talked about this guy before he ended up being a rather large gentleman at the end of his career who would snap his neck around when he would get ready to pitch. It's Mike Fetters. <laughs> what can you say about Mike Fetters? That hasn't been said before? I'm not sure. <laughs> but, he was uh, a decent pitcher, wasn't he? Yeah, in 16 years. Played for just about every yeah. team. Let's see, in 91, he was still a young buck. He was on the Angels at this point, 26 years old. Uh, started a couple of games, even. But that all equates to a war of minus .2. Uh, he does have a mustache going here, so that's going to end up just being a minus 0.1 for me. That'll take me down to 5.6. All right, next we have got uh, one of the guys for the Cubs. He and Jerome Walton were two really young, great prospects for the Cubs. It's Dwight Smith. I remember the, the Cubs had a lot of really good young players at one point. You know, pitchers, uh, outfielders, a lot of good young talent, and uh, they didn't win a World Series, though. No, so Dwight Smith... Finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting in 89. I believe it was behind Jerome Walton. In 91, not a great year. It looks like he might have been hurt for part of it. OPS plus of 73. So uh, that's a minus 0.2. He's got a mustache, though, so that'll just be a minus 0.1. I, I seem to be treading water here, but 
You got the all average pack. I got the all bad guys pack. You got the all scum <laughs> scum pack. I uh, remember Dwight Smith Jr. I remember he was around for a little while. Didn't do a whole lot though. Well, as is the case here, whenever one of our favorite players is pulled out of a pack, it is never the it's never for the person whose favorite player that is. Oh, so, you got a Nolan Ryan. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Nolan Ryan highlights card uh, where we are highlighting him becoming the 20th pitcher in Major League history to win 300 games in 1990. Let's see. Uh, Nolan Ryan in 1991 was only 44 years old and oh, had a 12 and 6 mark with a ERA plus of 140 and led the league with a whip of <laughs> 1.0053 and led the league in strikeouts per 9 with 10.6 at age 44 he must have been popping those Advil like they were pez in the yeah. in the dugout 2.91 ERA 203 Easy. strikeouts that guy was amazing dang so uh, all of that equals a war of 5.2. I'm not wow. going to get anything else from the card other than he is a Hall of Famer. So that'll be a plus 6.2. Don't start pitching Nolan against me. That I mean, those numbers are just ridiculous at 44 yeah. years old. That is just, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. I always thought, you know, I picked the right favorite player when I was a kid. Because <laughs> I got to see him for a long time. Next, we've got a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. It is Tom Bolton. We celebrate his entire catalog here on Two Strike Noise. <laughs> which, uh, which is your favorite song by Tom Bolton, by the way? Uh, I just, you know, it's hard to pick. That's why I, that's why I celebrate his entire catalog. They're all so I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> and we are now an Office Space podcast. All right. 1991, uh, Bolton 8-9. Uh, started 19 games, came out of the, the pen as well. Not a great year for him. Uh, all of that equals a war of minus 0.4. He's got a good mustache, though, so that's just going to be a minus 0.3. Uh, if it wasn't for Nolan Ryan, I would really be struggling right now, but I, I'm yeah still within striking distance with a couple of cards left. All right, my next player, uh, somebody we've definitely talked about. It is the Lemmer, Mark Lemke. Oh, man. I see. I never liked the Braves, but I like Mark Linky. I always did. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about him before in his uh, 11 year career. 3,664 plate appearances. Not once was he ever hit by a pitched ball, uh, which That's is amazing. To incredible. Me. Uh, 91. Especially because he was like a go getter, too. He's the kind of guy that would take one for the team. Yeah. He, you would think he would just sit there and, and exactly get on base any way you could. But always dirty when he was playing. So he appeared in 136 games. I mean, he was out there most days, only had 269 at bats. So you can, he's coming in for defense more than likely at the end of the game. All of that sure. leads to a war of minus 0.4, which is not good. Let's see. He's got real stirrups, but that's all, that's all I'm going to get. So that'll just be a minus 0.3. So again, I'm kind of going in the wrong direction here at about half your score with just a couple of cards left. <laughs> I got mad skills, my man. You can't feel bad about it. Yeah, so do you remember Mark Lemke, after he finished in the big leagues, he signed with the independent New Jersey Jackals and oh, wow. became a knuckleball pitcher. No way, I did not know that. Yeah, so in 1999, he went 5-1, but his ERA was 6.68. Oh, Threw a record nine wild pitches in successive at-bats. <laughs> 
Hey, at least he gave it a shot, right? Yeah, no, good for him. Uh, good for him. All right, so I'm at 11.1. Next, we've got uh, Fruit Loops. Here he is with the Orioles, Mickey Tettleton. The on-base master. The the absolute legend of the two-out walk. Let's see, Mickey Tettleton in 1991, while well, he's enjoying his cereal with the Detroit Tigers for the first year, only had 101 at-bats. Uh, led the league <laughs> the next year with 122. Slash line of 263, 387, 491 for an OPS plus of 140. Won the Silver Slugger that year. Appeared in games as a catcher, designated hitter, left fielder, first baseman, and right fielder. That's wow. pretty valuable right there. Let's see what yeah, that equates to. Know. War-wise, a 5.6 war. Wow. Wow. That's You're not going to find many single seasons that are higher than that. No. Let's see. I'm going to say those are probably... Uh, he's a catcher, so I want to say they're real, but they really look like 2 and one So that's probably only going to be a 5.5. But uh, that'll take me to 16.6. So I'm under three away from you with four cards left. This is doable, but I'm going to really have to buckle down here. Of course, we've talked about the uh, the nickname Fruit Loops. Mickey says that that was the source of his power at the plate was the cereal. That's right. Can't say whether... Uh, Know that or not, he was also in uh, in Little Big League, as were quite a few yes. major leaguers. Uh, next, we've got the Colonel. This guy, I believe he was, uh, well, I know he's on the A's several times. Uh, it's Joe Clink. Colonel Clink. Yes. Yeah, that's from Hogan's Heroes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that. I just know who it is because Chris Berman used to call him Joe Clink all the time. Uh-huh. And he would do it with a German accent, so that kind of gave it away. Uh, let's see. Gotcha. Boy, talk about a vulture. 1991 with the A's. 62 games, all out of the bullpen. A 10-3 and record. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. tough to do. Yeah, that is. With it, with an 88 ERA plus. So that is, wow. that's weird. Uh, that equates to a war of 0.0. So <laughs> that just shows counting stats like, like record mean absolutely nothing. When it comes to war. Right. let's see. So that's going to really not help me out. Nothing on this card is going to get me anything as well. Uh, Clink once went 90 consecutive games without allowing a home run. The longest by a left-handed pitcher since 1957. You know, if I were going to guess at that record, I would have guessed Joe Clink. Oh, yeah. It's the first one that comes to mind. All right. Next is outfielder for the Blue Jays. Probably best known as a Met He's a good follow on uh, on Twitter. It is Mookie Wilson. But 1991 was Mookie's last year. Not a great. I mean, he was 35. He was out of gas. He was playing out the string. This equates to a minus 0.4 war. Let's see. He's got uh, he's got real stirrups. I can't. It didn't look like he's got a five o'clock shadow. Nothing that I can really really hang my hat on here. So that's a minus 0.4. I'm going in the wrong direction as I got wow. close. He hit you a clutch slow roller. Yeah. William Hayward Mookie Wilson. Not to be outdone by his baseball career, uh, Mookie Wilson and his family released a gospel CD in 2001 entitled Don't Worry, The Lord Will Carry You Through. Man, the only better title would have been Don't Worry, The Lord Will Carry You Through, Mookie. Bill Buckner's legs. All right. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Next, uh, second to last card. It is, instead of Ron Robinson, who we always have, it is the actual caveman. Don Robinson with the Giants. Nice. Finally. Yeah, I don't think he's going to help me out a lot 
Probably in, not. In terms he of was a big burly guy, though. Caveman, 6'4", 225, pitched for 15 years. In 91, went 5-9 and nine with the Giants. 4.38 ERA. That's an 82 ERA+. plus. If I had a positive ERA plus other than Nolan, uh, let's I see. I don't think so. That equates to a war of minus 0.4, and nothing is going to get me anything on that card. Wow. I, I'm down to my final card, and I've just gone the wrong way too many times here. The final card is not going to help me, I don't believe. It is first baseman designated hitter with the Rangers, Jack Doherty. Remember Jack Doherty? Don't know a lot about Jack Doherty. From this pose and being a Rangers, I thought it might be a Rafael Palmero, which would have helped me out. But no, it's Jack yeah. Doherty. Six years in the big leagues, 1991. Well, he slashed 194, 270, 264 for an OPS plus of 50. So you can guess where that's going. A minus <laughs> 0.8. Now, he's got real stirrups. That's too bad. He's got real stirrups. He has got flip-down sunglasses, and he has got two sweatbands with his jersey number on it. Wow. You met all the requirements. Yeah, so that has the, the minus war to minus 0.4, but still, it's a minus. And that lands me at 15.4, which is about four points lower than you, and tax another win onto your record, bringing you up to 10 uh, to uh, 15 wins to my 10 wins. So congratulations. And we'll play into a thousand, right? <laughs> no, we'll play to 20 once again. Then maybe we'll, we'll uh, come up with a couple of new rules. I, I'm thinking about the, uh, the, the no batting gloves uh, might be a thing. Yeah. Congratulations there. You have once again bested me. That's going to wrap up another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Let's start to bring the show to a close. If you would like to get a hold of us and follow us throughout the week, as you know, maybe if this show is just not enough for you, you can find us on social media. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. We post things there quite often. Sometimes we post things there and then they're posted on other bigger baseball sites that's very coincidental right after we post it that the same thing would be on mm -hmm. somebody else's but we're not going to talk about that today mark uh, <laughs> they can find us on youtube as well if you search for two strike noise podcast as well as send us emails of which mark is the curator of and we'll tell you how to do that t-w-o strike noise at gmail.com spell it out two strike noise at gmail.com uh we're a little behind our emails but i promise anybody who's written in you're going to get a response all right so uh and and likewise if you would like to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this that would be that would be spectacular that always helps us out but uh beyond that mark we will be back next week for another episode and uh we want to thank everybody once again for listening we'll see you next week on another episode of two strike noise thank you god bless you have a great day